So we've been discussing about the parochet that was in the Mishkan and in the Beis HaMikdash that divided between the Kodesh HaKadoshim and the Kodesh. And we said that parochet, Targum Unkelis translated into the Aramaic, which is Parsa. And Parsa is the terminology that's used in Kabbalah and Hasidus to speak about the screens and the curtains and the layers that block Hashem's light as it descends through Seder Shtashlut, the order of descent, down into this world. And we didn't do Tehillim, so make sure to do um, when I leave at 10, okay? Um, and, and the function of the parsa is to block the light and dilute it and split it up so that the light that comes through is able to be more received because we discussed that if the light as it existed in the Kodesh HaKodeshim, which was Hashem's essence, like it was a reflection of Hashem's essence in this world, and we saw that physically by the fact that the Aaron took up space and didn't take up space at the same time. That represents the Achtut of Hashem, that everything is possible, Kol Yachol, and Hashem could do everything. He could be limited and unlimited at the same time. That light had to be screened. It had to be curtailed because if it would just shine the way it was into the world, as we discussed, we would no longer be able to be separate beings, right? We would be like all of those people who walked unprepared into the Kodesh HaKadoshim, their soul immediately went up. So we have the, the Parsa, and we have many Parsas. We started to discuss the idea of a Parsa on Sunday. So we, we spoke a little bit about the Tzimtzumim, right? We said that the light first Tzimtzum has to go from black light to, to white light. It has to become a light that shines, that recognizes that it's, there's something, however subtle, that it's shining outward to, right? Just a subtle recognition that there's something, so to speak, outside of Hashem. The most subtle that, that could possibly be. Then we had the Tzimtzum Arishin where the, where the light that was a total reflection of Hashem's truth went through a complete change and transformation and the light that came out um, after the Tzimtzumarishon, the first major um, contraction of the light was quantitatively and qualitatively completely different. So the reality before the Tzimtzumarishon was everything is God. The reality after Tzimtzumarishon was there's this thing called gvul, there's this thing called limitation. And after the light of the Tzimtzum Arishon, it went through many, many more concealments till it went into the world of Atzilut, as we spoke about. We said in Atzilut, the light now has become organized into a world, right? However, the light is still shining through the vessels in a way that the vessels don't really block it, and it's very powerful. And the truth of Hashem still remains in Atzilus, which is why there are no creations there. Then we said... The first major parsa, the most famous parsa, we said, is between Atsilas, that's where we ended off. It's between Atsilas and Bria. Bria is the second world, the second spiritual world. Bria means creation. And it's not creation as we know it down here, right? Creation as we don't know it down here, that God created light and he created light and dark and the sun and the moon. That's the physical creation, that's the last step. But the ability for Hashem to create a sun and a moon and grass and people that all look and feel separate to him started off, the potential for that started off in the world of Bria. The world of Bria, within it has some sort of consciousness of separateness. And that's only possible because of this major parsa that separates between Atsilis and Bria. The light, after it goes from Atsilis through the parsa into Bria, is a totally changed light where the potential for gvul, the potential for yesh, for a feeling of my own ego, separateness, existence, um, is it comes into potential. So the angels that do it, there are creations in Bria. The first creations start in Bria, and they're angels. But the angels that exist in Bria are extremely, extremely, extremely lofty, okay? 
um, when we speak about Malach Michael, Malach Gavriel, right? Um, Raphael, these like major Malachim that we speak about, they live in the world of Bria. The world of Bria is, so if we would say the world of Atsilos is a world of complete nullification to Hashem, nothing can exist. The world of Bria is a world of intellect. So all of the creations that exist in the world of Bria serve Hashem through their intellect. They intellectually are able to unite and connect with Hashem. And so the angels that live there are considered very, very lofty angels as opposed to the angels that are in um, Yitzira and in the spiritual Asiya. And the truth is actually that most angels, they live and die like very, very, very quickly. They're kind of like mosquitoes or like, you know, like very, very short lifespans because they come into the world and then they get so emotional. The ones from Yitzhira will see it's the world of emotion that they burn up in a fiery love for God and they just lose their sense of self. And again and again, and we're, we're constantly creating angels, right? Have you had that idea through our prayers? When we pray correctly, we create healthy angels that fly up, but then they fly up and they become consumed in the oneness of Hashem. The angels in Bria, specific ones like Michal, Gavriel, etc., are considered angels that live, like they basically live forever. So they're very, very, very lofty level. And they exist in the world of, of Bria. Within each world, there are parses as well within each level. When we go from one sphere to the next sphere, there are constantly these descents going on and these tzimtzumim. Then there's another parser between Bria and Yitzira which takes the light of Bria, which is an incredibly lofty light, which primarily focuses on the intellectual connection with Hashem, and it blocks it, right? And it filters it. And so that the light that comes through from Bria to Yetzira is now a completely new level, much lower. And Yetzira means the world of formation, where already creation starts to take on more of a form and an individual sense of self. And in the world of Yitzira, everything serves Hashem through emotion. It's the world of emotion. And the angels there, when we say every single day in our prayers before Shema, that the angels were all gathered together and they say Kadosh, 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 and they burn up, um, they go up and they're burning up in a fiery love for Hashem. These are the angels from Yitzira. Um, there are different levels and different names for different ones. And um, they are in a constant state of connection to Hashem, but through their emotions. They don't understand they don't understand why they love Hashem, but they feel it. And they're just a full ball of feeling. That's basically what defines one angel in Yitzhira from another one, just different types of feelings. Then we have the parsa between Yitzhira and the spiritual Asiya, which is the fourth world, the fourth world of Asiya, which means the world of action, where people and physicality exists, right? Um, there are two levels. There's the spiritual Asiya, and then there's the physical Asiya, which is this world. So the spiritual Asiya also has angels and spiritual beings that are the most crass and the most um, limited. And, and then there's another parser between these two layers that the light, by the time that it's gone through all of these tzimtzumim um, and parsers, by the time the light comes into this world, it is so, so, so diluted and so limited that we don't even feel it in a tangible way, not with our mind, not with our heart. The only way we can connect to it is through action, right? So when we do an action, we don't feel what we're doing, we don't understand what we're doing, but we are connecting. Do you have a question? Yeah, connected to what? You're saying, like, we're the furthest from it, we're not connected to it? What's connected to a, ten, like a, an, a relationship with Hashem in a felt way. Okay. So the angels in Bria have this tremendous connection with Hashem that they understand, like, they, they truly understand what's going on. The ones in Yitzira have a very lofty connection because they feel what's going on. We don't feel, we don't understand. We do. And through our action, that's how we connect. 
And so that was just a little bit of a quick summary of the four worlds because I know we've, we haven't touched on that this year. But back to the parsas. What is going on every time the light goes through a parsa? It's a two-step process every single time. Every part of this light, okay? Light is made up of two parts. Everything is made up of two parts. What we call the pnimiot, the internal part of the light, and the chitsonia, the external part of the light. The pnimiot of the light, the light again, light, when we say light, we don't mean physical rays from the sun. We mean a reflection from the source, a reflection of Hashem, a transmission of Hashem outward, so to speak. The pnimiot of the light is bitl. The pnimiot of the light is I do not exist. I am purely a reflection of my source. And that's its truth. That's the truth of the light. The chitsoniot of the light is the most peripheral, peripheral layers of the light. Good morning. And the chitsoniot, no, no problem at all. We started today at 9.15, because I have to leave at 10. I know you did, but I don't know. I thought I got here at 9.05. Oh, no. No problem at all. So we're just speaking about the par sets made of two, two parts. There's the pnimiot, the internal, and the chitsoniot, the external part of the light. All of the light. The premium of the light is the truth, which is I am merely a reflection of my source. I do not exist. I have no existence whatsoever. All I am is just a reflection of my source. The chitzonyot of the light is the yeshos of the light, the feeling of existence, however subtle that is, that I am light and I have a role, which is to transmit the truth of Hashem. It's the feeling of my job, my role, my existence in some way, however, however slighter. The, the highest lights, when we speak about them, that peripheral layer of it is so overwhelmed by the truth, the pnimia, the bittle, that it's not felt at all. So, <laughs> we're gonna do Tehillim afterwards. So, if you, would meet, if you would meet these higher levels of light and you would say, introduce yourself, what would the light say? Meet my source. It doesn't have any sense of self. It would say, meet my source. I, who are you talking to, right? It's kind of how Moshe Rabbeinu functioned. When, when Hashem asked him to do things, he's like, what are we? Like, I don't even exist. How can you ask me to speak? <laughs> um, so that's the internal part. The external part is that sense of I exist as light. I'm, a, I'm some sort of, of being. So what happens with the parsa is that the light hits the parsa. The pnimiot of the light gets left behind. The primitive of light, which is the truth that I do not exist, the bitl, the chitsoniot of the light shines through. So now, if this is a very, very lofty light, the chitsoniot is still very powerful, but it includes within it some sort of sense of I exist. And then again, that new light that's come through that parsa, again, the next parsa it hits, the primitive of that light, which is the sense of bitl that exists within that level of light, gets left behind, the chitsoniot shines through. And again, and again, and again, and again, and again, until we get to this world. It's, I always think of it as a water filter, like just again and again and again, just like taking the same water and putting it in again and again and again and again. And all those parts getting left behind, that's creation, not the water as it goes through, but the, the sediment. <laughs> and there's a, there's a, um, there is a term in Chassidus that says that this world is just the sediment of the, angel, of the lowest level of angels. It's like the, the leftovers. It's the chitsonius of the chitsonius of the chitsonius of the chitsonius. The peripheral of a peripheral of a peripheral layer. And so back to that question, which is the age-old question, how did we get here? How can we have yesh me'ayin, something from nothing? The nothing is 
nothing exists other than Hashem, and yesh means I exist outside of Hashem. How do we go from one extreme to the other? And the answer is through parses, through again and again and again, filtering this light, this reflection of Hashem's truth, leaving behind the pnimiot, the truth that everything is Hashem, enod milvado, ultimate bittle, and transmitting forth that tiny sense of limitation, that tiny sense of yeshus and I exist through filtering it again and again and again and again until we get to the world as we know it. What was the name of the light that filters, that goes through? So it's, so there's two names for light. I, wa- I don't remember if it touches on it in this mimer. I seem to remember it mentioning it. There's light that's called Or Yashar, and there's light that's called Or Chazer. So there's some light that just shines directly through without being prevented. And then there's some light that when it hits the pass, it kind of bounces back. Um, but, but sorry, the, there's the, there's the, there's so all light, anytime we speak about God's light, yeah. whatever level, so all like, light has a primiot and a chitzoniot. So that's, that's like this sense of the source. Yes. But then what's the one that's the sense of the self? The chitzoniot, that's the external. So, so the truth is that we have that within ourselves as well. The inner, inner, innermost part of us is a piece of Hashem. It has no sense of separate identity whatsoever. That's our essence. But then, what's the most external part of ourself, the one that we, can, that we tangibly feel and experience, that says, we wake up in the morning and I exist. Every single being has both of these going on. Also angels. They have the primiot and they have the chitzoniot. The higher the angel, the more um, refined their chitzoniot is. It's not crass and like, I exist, but it exists in some way. I have some sort of form and definition in life of my own. And so this is the process. So anytime you hear about symptom or you hear about parsa, we said symptom is more talking about the quantity of the light as it's being reduced. The parsa is reducing the quality of the light. We said the example is like um, light as it hits a, um, a cloud and then breaks up into a rainbow, right? We spoke about that example. The white light then turning into many different colors. Now the, the color of the light is different. The amount of the light is different. The message of the light is different. And, um, and that's kind of how, how it works. The most popular example that's brought in Hasidus for this idea of parsa and of simsum is that of a student and the teacher. Because a student, a teacher, understands a concept on his level and goes through his process of understanding and it exists up in his mind, right? And then he has to take that which exists up in his mind, not a tangible thing he can hand, right? And he has to transmit it through his speech. Now, the way we speak is much, much more limited than the way we think, right? The way our mind encompasses an idea and the way that our words encompass idea, the words filter out the mind tremendously. So the teacher has the idea as he's understood it, as it exists in his mind, but he's transmitting only a filtered, so to speak, virgin to the students and based on how much the students can understand, but also based on how much he's able to actually transmit it. That You can have somebody who's very, 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 very smart, but he's a terrible teacher because... He doesn't know how to take that which exists in his mind and transmit it into words and filter it, right? So it's, it's, this, it's, it's the job and the role of a teacher. And when we say a teacher, any sort of role of mashpia, anytime we're, we're influencing, right? So the teacher has to filter it. And then the student, when he's receiving the idea, what does he receive? He doesn't receive the idea itself, the pnimiot of the idea. He receives the chitzonit of the idea, the speaking of the idea. And then that student will then take that idea as he now has it in his mind and speak it out again to the next person and the next person. The coolest example of this is with Khani Hamagal. I might have brought this in the summer. Khani Hamagal was a Tana who's called Khani the circle maker. Magal is a circle because there was once a very big drought in Israel and he drew a circle in the sand and he told Hashem, I'm not stepping out of the circle until you bring rain. 
And then Hashem ended up bringing too much rain and then too little rain. And he was arguing with Hashem, you need to bring the perfect amount of rain. And he became known from then on as Choni Amagal. But there's a very interesting story with him that we're going to learn about in the Mimer of Shir that we learned in the summer, but that he ended up being put to sleep for 70 years. Hashem put him basically into a coma for 70 years. He was one of the Torah leaders of the generation before he went into the sleep. He had his own Bekmetrish and his school of thought of Torah where he taught. When he woke up after 70 years, he got up and he went to where he was familiar. He went to the Beit Medrash. He went to his shul. And he didn't recognize anybody anymore. He, first it says he started to look for his son and for his this and that. And everyone was like, oh, they're, they're dead. Um, and then he went to the shul and he overheard two students discussing an idea of his, one of his Torahs. They were like arguing about it. So he stepped in and he said, oh, I'll explain it to you. First of all, he said, hi, I'm Choni Amagal. And they laughed because Choni Amagal had been dead for 70 years. And he said, I'll explain it to you. And he explained it. And they kicked him out of the Bet Medrash. They said, you are crazy. You're loony. And it's, this was the school of Choni Hamagal. This was the Torah that he had taught. But it had gone through at that point, people didn't live that long. So it was about almost four generations from when he had taught it until these, these people were the fourth generation. They'd, the teacher had received it and transmitted it to the next one and to the next one. And by the time it had gone down all these levels, the original thought was unrecognizable by the students. And that's, you know, we go from Hashem, we go from bittal, total oneness and unity, and nothing exists outside of Hashem. And through this constantly taking out the primyot and only leaving the chitzonyot again and again and again, we have a world that's unrecognizable from the original world. That doesn't mean that this world doesn't come from that original world, right? The, the discussion, the Torah that those students were talking about did come from Choni Amaga, which had come from his teacher, which had come from his teacher, but it was unrecognizable. And the example that's brought here is actually that of Holadav, giving birth. A child comes from the parents, no question about it, but the child looks completely separate from them. Maybe you can find a similarity, but it exists independently, totally from the parents. Mm-hmm. And, and that is how, that's the answer, basically, to the question of how we got here. Um, so, so we go back, we asked, uh, Loma Nivra, no, 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 sorry, yeah. The question of how we came a physical world from a spiritual world of unity. It's impossible. The only way we can explain it is by discussing about the parochet and the significance of the parsa and the process of tzimtzum. That is how we exist so separate and so far seemingly from our source. But that doesn't take away from the fact that Hashem is our, is our source. We just don't experience it now. So, so that's, the idea, um, that's the idea of Parsa and of Tzimtzum. Any questions or comments on that idea? But just, oh, sorry. Um, uh, the the unity of the word, how is it, how, how is the descriptive of the unity if it's like, the cancellation, like, or oh, okay. it's like, how is it the true unity of the cancellation? Like, you're truly, like, I'm just trying to understand, the, like, the logic behind specific terms connected to the concept. Like, maybe yeah. the little meaning, the, like, anything disassociates itself, like, it's nothing. Like in comparison so there's two levels of bittul. Like, yeah. That's the question. That's the that's a it's a good point. If 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 it's total unity, then how can I become bittul? Yeah. Right. How, how do how is it unity if another part is canceling itself? Right. <laughs> so so there's two levels of bittul. The high level of bittul is called bittul b'metzias, which means total, no, total non-existence. 
Like, I don't experience myself to be in existence separate from Hashem whatsoever. That's someone like Moshe Rabbeinu. Yeah. Then the bitul that we usually talk about and throw around is bitul hayesh. Mm-hmm. Bitul hayesh means taking my ego and giving it over to Hashem, putting it aside. It's not, totally, it's not saying I don't exist. It's saying I exist, I feel that I exist, but I'm going to put my sense of self aside right now and do what Hashem wants. So when we speak about bitul of the light, that's considered a bitul b'metzias. The light does not experience itself to exist whatsoever. It's not like I am light and I'm going to do the avoda of putting aside my sense of self so that I can shine. No, no, no. As the light shines, it fully experiences itself, the higher the light is, to be just a total transmission of its source. So that's, that's the answer. There's, there's two levels. Mm-hmm. And when we speak about Bittal, we speak about the lower level of Bittal, which still says I exist, but I'm going to put myself aside. When we speak about the Bittal of the light, that's, that's the higher level of Bittal. Okay. okay. So now the Altarebbe is going to discuss that within these parses and these separations and these tzimtzumim, there are two different levels. Some of these parses the change is not so dramatic. It's a very, very subtle change between one level to the next. And both of them still have that feeling of kedusha, of holiness, and of unity with Hashem. Then there are some parses that are so dramatic that the light, as it comes through, it's like the difference between holiness and unholiness. So that's the discussion that he's going to speak about here, that there are two general, two, three even, three general categories of these parses. So we're on page seven. On the left side, the third paragraph, which starts with ach. Okay. Ach, however. Yesh kama mine mesachim hamavdilin. There are different types of screens that separate. Sheyesh od bechina. There's another level. Sheomrim b'motzei Shabbat. On motzei Shabbat we say, hamavdil ben kodesh lechol who separates between holiness and unholiness. Shehu masach mavdil gomer. That is speaking about a total separation. I think I actually, um, I, I skipped maybe the last line before, before ach, but we'll, we'll get back to that in a minute. So this is a total separation. And what we're doing when we do havdalah and we say hamavdil min kodesh lechol, we're not just stating a reality that now we're in chol and we're no longer in Shabbos. We're drawing down from the kodusha into the chol. Right, that's why we say baruch, when we bless, we're drawing from a higher level down into a lower level. That's referring to a masach, a screen that separates totally. That's not at all similar to the curtain that we spoke about that separated between the Kodesh HaKodeshim and the Kodesh. Because the Kodesh was still holy. It wasn't as holy as the Kodesh HaKodeshim, but it was still very holy. And people couldn't just walk into the Kodesh either. But we're talking about there's actually another aspect of Parsa which separates it totally. Because that, the Parsa that's separated between the Kodesh HaKodeshim and the Kodesh, it's the same light, it's just getting a little bit more crass, a little bit more peripheral. But still after it goes through the separation and the screen, it's still holy. Just as when we say, when we have a Shabbos that goes straight into Yom Tov, we don't do Havdalah, what do we say? We say, we say it in the Kiddush. The Kiddush becomes the Havdalah and the Kiddush. We say, He who separates between Kodesh and Kodesh. 
And that's the idea that there can be a parsa that doesn't totally change the light from holiness to unholiness, but rather it just subtly changes it slightly, but it still remains holy. But then we can have a light that changes the light completely. This is not the case when we say Havdalah between Shabbos and the weekday, the separation that filters the light to turn from Kodesh into Chol, from holiness into mundane. Who masach shemalim o master haor? That is a screen that covers over and conceals the light. Ad shenasa nifrad mamish to the point that it's totally separate. Kamo hecholat hachitzoniot hamagbin et atzman lomar. Like all of those very very far away creations that that raise themselves up to the point that they say li yoori. This is a quote that references Paro. Paro from Egypt, he claimed that the Nile, Leori means the Nile is mine. He had the audacity to claim that he created the Nile, right? And that's an example of how the masach, the screen, totally changes the light to the point that the light that was enlivening Paro was so hidden within him that he raised himself up. All he felt was the chitzonyet, was the peripheral, was his sense of self to the point that he claimed there is no God, I'm actually God. But the truth is that Hashem gives life to everything. But there are those who call Hashem the God of gods. Maybe they say, I believe in Hashem, but I don't believe that Hashem is the only God. There are other gods. God is just the big God and there's some other gods. So there's all different levels of how this light translates and is manifest into different people, depending on what's more present, their primius or their chitsonius, and how far the light has descended. The Ainan Kofrin Mamash. So they're not actually being heretics. Saying calling God the God of gods for a non-Jew is not is not heretical. For a Jew, um, it is. Like we have an obligation in what's called um, we have to believe that everything is Hashem. Hashem doesn't use any partners. But a non-Jew, is a, as long as he doesn't say God doesn't exist and he believes in God, he's allowed to say, oh, God uses partners. It's a big, it's a big debate, but with Christianity, that's basically, it's called this idea of shittuf. Shittuf means partners, that Hashem uses partners, right? The, I don't know what they call the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. For a Jew to believe that is complete avaydazara. That's why we're not allowed to walk into a church. Right. For a non-Jew to believe that, there's a debate whether it's actually a Vaidasar or not because they, they're calling God the God of gods. They're saying he works with others, but he's still God, right? It's not like walking into a, a Buddhist place with like actual idols, right? Um, so, so there's a question there. So that's the question. Yes, yes. So worshiping an idol is saying that God, our God, we don't believe in. We believe in this. This isn't. This is God. Mm-hmm. Christianity. There's a debate, but from I don't really know much about it. That's the truth. We're not really allowed to just learn Christianity, but it's the idea that believe in God, but God is partners with other things to work together. I mean, I'm saying like I feel right? like I feel like no, because I feel like. There's a there's an idea that like Yoshka is a son of Right, like, right, but it's not separating of, it's not separating completely. It's not like finding a new thing. That they that the so that's the generally? that's the question. According to the Rambam, it's not a problem for a non Jew to believe that. For a Jew to believe it, totally yeah. bizarre. For a non Jew not, because there's a subtle difference. There are opinions that do say that that is. Mm-hmm. Um, 
There are opinions that say this way and that way. But when it comes to a mosque, for example, we're allowed to walk into a mosque, no problem, because they don't yeah, say yeah, God yeah. is the God of gods, they say God is God. So there's all these different levels of how the light um, comes through, depending on which parsed goes through and how diluted it becomes. And the result of that is how much self do I feel versus how much do I recognize God. And so the more I say, no, I don't feel God at all, and I am just... Um, I am God, actually, as Paro claimed, and many others did, and many others today still believe like that there's no higher power, and I am the beginning and end of existence. Um, that is that is the light as it descends all the way. That is Ben Kodesh Lachol, but we can have Ben Kodesh Lachodesh as well. And that Vezeu Hodu Lekeha Lakim Kilo blesses the God of Gods. There's a level of God being the God of gods. Because his kindness is forever. And he draws down his, his light, his energy from world to world. As we discuss that the light goes from world to world. To the point that there are those who feel that God exists, but he's the God of other gods because the light has descended so low. In this place of darkness and concealment. And on this screen, on this parcel that we're talking about, that totally, totally makes the light a completely different thing. It's called, I will clothe the heavens in darkness. That's the idea that the light has become darkness. It's gone through so many parses that we don't see the essence and the truth of the light, which is that everything is Hashem anymore. Now it goes a bit more into detail here that there's two different levels of Chol. So we're still trying. We're still talking about this idea that these levels of separation within separating from holiness to unholiness, there are even more levels. There are even more subtleties. The first one is chol gomer, total, total, mundane, which is called hechalot de noga. These are the lights of noga, right? The source of klipat noga, which to- it conceals the truth. The to the point that there exist people who can call God the God of gods because the light has become so diluted and so concealed through these parses. The second one, Habeis, Hobechines Cholen Shenatu Altaras HaKodesh. This is, there was those who took upon themselves that on Chola Moed, which is like the regular weekday between holidays, that they would, um, when they ate the Korbanot from those days, they would be on a level of sanctity as if it was a Moed, as if it was a holiday. So like elevating a regular day to a higher level. An example of that is Chola Moed. So this is a more subtle level of concealment. This means that there is a light of the holiness that's drawn down that exists, the sense of bitul also in chol. So we shouldn't feel like, okay, because we exist in this physical world, the lowest of the world, and especially on a day like a weekday, just like a random day like today, that there's no light coming through. The answer is that there are different heichalot and that there is light that comes through. As we see when it comes to keeping Shabbos, there is a light that is drawn down from Shabbos into the weekday, from the holiness of Shabbos. And it's explained, the first three days after Shabbos, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, they get their extra energy from the previous Shabbos. So we are still getting a ray and an energy and a feeling of bitul that comes from that Shabbos. The Gimel Yamim Achronim and the three days before Shabbos, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Mishabbos Haba, they draw down energy from the upcoming Shabbos. And we see in the Shir Shalyom, are you familiar with Shir Shalyom? There's the daily song that we sing in the Tefillah um, corresponding to the Levim. 
that on Wednesday, which is the th- beginning of the three days before the next Shabbos, we, what is the Shishal Yom? I'm pretty sure it's Lechun Aranana. It's a Shabbos prayer. Because we start to draw down the light from the upcoming Shabbos already from three days before. So the week, the mundane, even though the mundane covers over the Kedusha, the holiness with these screens, it doesn't totally. The light does come through. This light is drawn down to the Jewish people. In the six days of creation, from the holiness of Shabbos. So that all of their actions, even in a weekday, even when the light is so diluted, just like those who sanctified themselves when they would eat the the karbanot, that they would be on this level of Shabbos. We're able to act on the level of Shabbos during the week because of the light that's drawn down. We're able to draw down that bittel from Shabbos. Shabbos is a day of rest. We're not doing, doing, doing. That's yesh. We're able to just be, and we're able to take that being into our week. This is the idea of the separation on Motzah Shabbos, where we say, Baruch HaMavdil Ben Kodesh Lecho. Why do we say Baruch? HaMavdil Ben Kodesh Lecho means who separates from the holiness to the week. What's Baruch? What does Baruch mean like? Just the simple blessed. So blessed is we're blessing the week, right? That it should be drawn down from Shabbos. But Baruch actually also means to draw down because we draw down blessings. There's a term, lahavrich et hagefin. It's the idea, I don't really know, I don't know if anyone's familiar with agriculture. They would take a vine and draw it back down into the ground. The end of the vine and draw it back down into the ground. It's called lahavrich et hagefin. It's to draw down the vine. Lahavrich comes from the same word as Baruch. Also, um, Birkayim, to bend. Baruch also means to bend. Birkayim, our knees. We bend with our knees. Again, lowering ourselves, drawing down from above to below. And another word from Baruch is Bricha. Bricha is a pool that gathers everything that flows into it, it gathers it down here. So when we're saying blessed, Baruch Hamavdil ben Kodesh blessed is he who separates between holiness and unholiness. That's the simple meaning. We're blessing Hashem who separates between holiness and unholiness. But on a deeper level, we're saying, draw down from the holiness into the unholiness. And that's the idea that even when there is a masach, even that when there is a screen that is covering over the truth, that is covering over the pnimiyut of the light, we can draw down from the existence as it was before the screen to afterwards. And Shabbat is an example of that. That even though we get elevated on Shabbat to a new level of consciousness, we can draw down from that level of consciousness into our week for the three days after Shabbat, and we can draw from the upcoming Shabbat. That's why there is actually, there are halachic ramifications for these ideas. We, there's an idea to start preparing for Shabbat already from, from Wednesday. And there's an idea to start preparing for Shabbat from Sunday even. Yeah. Um. I'm a little confused because I know this is like a very Hasidist thing. I'm confused because on one hand, Havdalah, doing Havdalah is like putting up a wall. It's not just like a, a screen. It's like this harsh separation, but at the same time, okay. you're drawing down the light from like one room to the next. So, the next. so I, yeah, like, I would correct you there. The moment Shabbos goes out, that's when the screen comes up. Havdalah doesn't put the screen up. It happens. Shabbos leaves. Uh, screen, the light that filters through now is filtered through. Havdalah is the process of drawing down the light from Shabbos into the week. Uh, Make sense? Make sense? Yeah. 
No, thank, I, I, that wasn't so clear, so thanks for having me clarify that. Havdalah is the process. Havdalah means separation, but it's the blessing of separation. It's the blessing of drawing down from the higher level now to the, to the lower level because the separation happens the moment that Shabbos comes out. The Raghat Shabbat gone. Um, he lived in the 19, beginning of the 1900s, and he, he was called the, the gone from Ragachov. He was an absolute genius, and um, he never sat still for a second. He was always running. He had like a table, this full, full, full of books, and he was running, running, running between this book and that book and that book and that book. And um, a student once walked into the shul um, on the evening of uh, on Shabbos afternoon, and he saw the Ragachov sitting, which he never did, and looking at a watch. Like a little child, like just watching. And then he was like, kept watching him because this was very unusual. And then suddenly the Rogachov jumped up and he said, Ice, it's over. And it was at that exact precise second that Shabbos ended. And he was just, he was marveling at this idea that one energy can change in a moment from one energy to another. So that happens the moment Shabbos leaves. But then the Havdalah is that which draws down from that energy so we can remain with it in the weekend so that we can serve Hashem on this level so we can find the bitter within our, ourselves not only on Shabbos but on the week on the weekday as well so I'm sorry that I keep checking the clock just because I, I have to leave at exactly 10 sorry about that um, okay so let's continue with this idea so about this it says it says in the Torah before speaking about Shabbos, it tells us for six days you must do your work. And we actually deduce from that that it's a commandment to work. We have to work. We need these six days of action, Dafka specifically. Which happens because of the concealment. We have a regular day when we can just go to work and do the things we have to do. Which separates from holiness to unholiness. Because if we did not have these separations, if it was always Shabbat, if we were always in this elevated state and we didn't have these parses, the whole world would be in a constant state of bittel. We wouldn't be getting any work done and we wouldn't be fulfilling the purpose of creation. As we see with Shmona Esrei. Shmona Esrei is like Shabbos. Shmona Esrei is this elevated state. By the time we get to Shmona Esrei, we act like angels. We put our feet together. We don't move. We don't speak. We don't make any signs. We don't point to anything. We are in an elevated state. But that elevated state happens for men three times a day, for women one or two, depending on how often you daven, for a few minutes. And even then, within the, within the Shmona Esrei, we have only briefly when we bow down. That's like the ultimate state of Bittal. Bowing down in Shmona Esrei, right? That happens for a few moments every day. We can't have this constant state of bowing throughout our whole day. We wouldn't be able to accomplish anything. So as we see, in those states, you're not allowed to even make any signs in front of the king. There, are, there, there were laws when somebody found himself in, in front of the king. He wasn't allowed to sign and point. And you had to have complete focus. And it was considered what's called Morid Bamalchot if he did. If he made signs, um, then, then he, he was executed because he was... Just dishonoring the honor of the king. And that's the state that we find ourselves in in Shmonasre, and specifically when we're bowing in Shmonasre, this complete state of bittal. Nothing else exists. But we can't stay in that state all the time. So these parses and these separations and these screens, are not, they're not negative. They're a natural, they're a necessity so that we can exist the way we exist, so we can do the work that we are obligated to do so that we can fulfill the purpose of creation. 
So as we see, just as it's impossible, we're not allowed to raise up a hand in front of the king. Oman kame malka. Sorry, guys, that's too much Aramaic. 73. Chayav Misa. Oh, and if he does, then he's Chayav Misa. Oh, that's the taxi, guys. Sorry, one second. Hi, Atabachutz. Sorry. Hello? My clock says 10, but this says it's before 10. Hello? Okay, I'm going to call him back in a second, so let's just end off. Let's just end off. That basically the idea that we're coming to now is that there are different levels of, of screens, right? But it's not all just a negative thing. It's necessary in order that we can function the way we function. Again, we're going way off topic from Brismila, but tomorrow we're going to connect it back to Brismila. And we're going to see how these screens are actually, and this process of having the screen and then drawing down from above the screen to below the screen is represented by Brismila. Okay, so I have to run. I'm sorry about the abrupt. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Have a wonderful day, and I'll see you guys tomorrow.